0: This episode is hosted by Mike Bifulco. Mike works as a developer advocate at Stripe and is also the co-host of the APIs You Won't Hate podcast. Follow Mike at mikebefolco.com.
1: As software engineering teams start to build products that become more and more mature, it becomes necessary to be able to debug complex issues with tooling that enables understanding of the full scenario. This can come from application scenarios where APIs are running multiple versions, where users are using your app from multiple devices, device types, OS versions, browser versions, things like that. You may also run into issues with network connectivity or functionality that is intermittent uh, based on sort of use cases and user interactions. And for this sort of scenario, we've come to start to use a, a class of tools for debugging called observability tools. Observability tools help developers to understand the full scenario of an application by digging into the data that is being used and recorded and can help to pipe data across various solutions that are used within enterprises to read and discover what's going on from analytics. One such tool, one product used for this is Rookout and I'm here today chatting with Liren Haimovich of Rookout. We'll talk a little bit about the product and his history as well as the use case for Rookout and sort of where the team is headed. Liren, how are you today?
0: Awesome, Mike. It's Great being here.
1: Yeah, really nice to chat with you. I appreciate you taking the time. Why don't we start here? Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and your career before you came to Rookout, and then we can talk about what you're doing at Rookout and the journey from there.
0: Sure. So I'm going to be 35 years old next next month. I'm married, one kid, one dog. I love them both. I have the dog way longer, and doesn't take away as much of my sleeping hours as the kid, but I guess I have to love him as well. Anyway, I've been a software engineer for over 15 years now. Spend the first decade or so doing cybersecurity, and a lot of research and development work, endpoint security, network security, kernel mode, user mode, tons of stuff all over the place. And then about five or six years ago, I've decided I want to move away from that. I want to focus more on developer tooling and especially seeing how can I bring a fresh perspective coming from the cybersecurity mindset and and background to the dev tools. How can we do something refreshing and interesting in developer tools? And that kind of led me down the path to developer-first observability.
1: Yeah, that's great. So that's actually probably a good place to introduce the idea of observability formally. How would you explain observability to a dev who's uh, not familiar with the
0: concept? So if you look at traditional observability, observability tried to answer a problem that we had with traditional monitoring. If you look at monitoring, it tends to be a very black box form of monitoring. I mean, if you go back far away enough in time, then monitoring was server level. Is the server up or down? Does the operating system have enough free space on disk? Those kind of things. And then you're just installing an Exchange server on that machine, and God bless it, whatever. We moved on from that, and the next level was starting to monitor the application itself, whether it's an off-the-shelf application as Exchange server. But even more so, as we've moved into SaaS, we care more and more about uh, monitoring our own applications. Not just is it is the server up, but also is the application up? How many requests is it serving? How many users is it serving? What's the latency? What's the error rate for each endpoint? And so on and so forth. Now, that's very it helps you kind of get a gauge of is it red or is it green? Is everything working well or is something terribly broken? But it has two main limitations. One it doesn't help you with the finer points. I mean, the system might be up, everything might be good, and you might be serving every customer out there with a 200 page saying the system is down. But it's 200, so monitoring doesn't catch it because HTTP be 200, okay, that's the one problem. And obviously there are many examples that go way beyond that into something that's broken within the system. You have a bug, you have a problem, monitoring doesn't see it. But even more importantly, let's say you understood something goes, is down, something is bad, What do you do about it? How well do you have information into the system? That's a place where metrics traditionally have been less than ideal and logs have been fairly useful, but things can get messy with logs. Do I have enough logs or do do I have enough context with each log? Are logs uh, structured or non-structured? I mean, we can talk about that for ages, but at the end of the day, logs end up not solving the problem. More often they do. And Big part of the problem is that reading through logs, reading through metrics, requires tons and tons and tons of domain knowledge to connect the dots. So I've got those metrics, I've got those logs. If I'm an expert in the system, if I know every line of code, if I've been working on it since day one, then I'm probably going to be able to connect the dots. If I'm new to the company, if I'm not, haven't been there, if it's somebody else's code, if it's a lot of legacy, if hundred engineers have worked on this system and I don't have all the knowledge. Connecting the dots is gonna be so much harder. And that's where traditional observability or distributed tracing came into play. The distributed tracing tried to solve the problem with a hammer, so to speak. So let's get try to get more data. Let's make every log super fancy. Let's bring every log with the log information itself. With text, let's bring a ton of context, including where is the request from, some metrics. Let's be able to thread logs between each other so that we can connect all the logs that came from a specific request, even across microservices, and so on and so forth. Essentially, think of distributed tracing as replacing logs with megalogs. Now, the problem with that is that the biggest issue today with logs is signal-to-noise ratio. I mean, most of us who are running big, large systems are probably overpaying our log aggregator providers. Many companies are paying Splunk millions of dollars or elastic or whatever you want to choose millions of dollars every year sometimes tens of millions of dollars every year just to store all those logs nobody cares about because you just can't separate the important stuff from the not important stuff and in that regard distributed tracing didn't help us all that much because obviously those mega logs are super useful and are definitely going to get you the answer if you have them but because mega logs are, distributed tracing are a 100 times more expensive to process and store than the traditional logs, which you're already trimming out because you don't have the capacity to store them. And then all of a sudden you, you discover that distributed tracing gets sampled very aggressively or just gets redacted. And all of a sudden it would have been great if you had distributed tracing, but you just won't because you're throwing 99% of that to the trash. And so that's where we came up with the concept of developer-first observability. Now, if you think about it, developers honestly don't care most of the time if the system is up or the system is down. That's somebody else's job, and besides, it's a solved problem. We know how to do that. What we don't know how to do is to understand, is the system, why is the system up or is it down? Why is there a bug? How do I develop a new feature that's going to make performance better? How do I make sure this new feature doesn't make performance worse? and so on and so forth. The thing is, software engineers get a different task every day. One day it's fix a bug, another day it's develop a new feature, another day it can be adapt a feature, deprecate a feature, or even an onboarding task, such as learn a new piece of code. And trying to find one piece of data, one body of data, that's going to answer all your questions for all of your tasks, that's impractical. It's much better to being able to be more agile here, to be more dynamic, to be able to adopt the data you're collecting in real time based on the tasks you're currently working on. And that's the concept of developer-first observability, of dynamic observability. We want software engineers and other stakeholders to be able to solve problems with the data they want rather than with the data they have.
1: Yeah, that's great. So really well put and a really interesting story of sort of the evolution of observability, it's, I think, useful to winnow it down to the maybe one dimensional version of observability really did start with us pinging a server every few minutes to see if it was (laughs) up and running. And then you slowly add more and more information to it. And eventually, if you've never seen the logs that kind of get sent to traditional logging services, like it can be thousands of lines per second of information sent to these services and leafing through them manually is a superhuman task. Like there's really no way to do that. And so For a while, it turned into developers getting really good with grep or, you know, paring things down with whatever tools they had at hand to look for for what might be issues. And obviously, that becomes a a really massive task. And it's really interesting to look at this as something that then you see through the prism of the developers using this. And so your goal, it sounds like, is to provide developers with the information that they're interested in for whatever task it is they're doing. So maybe debugging something or plugging into a new functionality. Is that right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Think about it. The thing is, you're probably not really looking at the console or at the output of the logs. What you're probably looking at right now if you have a bug is your source code. Because the bug is somewhere in there. What you don't want to do is start graphing around for strings that may or may not be useful. Now, even if you think about it even more, maybe the code you're debugging doesn't have a log. Maybe wrote it didn't bother putting in a log line. Or maybe that log line spammed too much, so it was removed or moved to a lower bossing. And maybe there is a log line in that function, but it's in it's too high up and you want something within a specific if or a specific uh, loop. Maybe you already have the log line in the right line, but it's missing a couple of variables and you really need those variables to get the data. And all of a sudden you're trying to do a lot of guesswork. So if I'm going to find, get this line and this line existed and that variable was here and that was the value, can I hypothesize what was the value in another line and did not make it to that other line or not? And you're make, doing a lot of guesswork and you're gripping through the logs, desperately grasping at straws, trying to figure out how can I come to the conclusion I want with the random data, somebody else, which might be your past self, decided to put into the logs. And they've tried to, maybe they've tried to predict the problem I'm having, maybe they didn't. Maybe I'm gonna get lucky. Most more often than not, I'm not gonna get lucky and I'm gonna be spending hours, as I mentioned earlier on, connecting the dots between the logs I already have. How much better would it be if you could just say, this is the line I want to know what's going on it. I wanna know, am I reaching this line or am I not reaching this line? I wanna know who is calling me, which IP am I being called from? Which function am I being called from? What are the arguments passed into the function? What are the variables? specifically on that line no guesswork no trying to figure it out just tell a system a machine what you need and let the machine get it for you instead of going through endless amounts of logs and metrics trying to guess the data you need
1: yeah that's amazing so that sounds very utopian from the perspective of a developer who is having a problem right now. <laughs> it also sounds like it avoids the problem of like going and telling some user to recreate the issue now that I've added the right logs or added the variable that was missing from my log line. So what does that look like from the developer's perspective? So what is it like to integrate with a product? And once Rookout is in place, how does a developer use it to debug an issue?
0: So... As I mentioned earlier on, we've come from a cybersecurity mindset, and one of the things that are very common in cybersecurity are agents. Everybody writes agents, and they can go very deep into your application or into your your servers and do a lot of fancy things. In our case, we've built agents focused on observability, on developer-first observability, and we've built out six of those agents, one for the JVM, one for the .NET, one for Node.js, one for Python, one for Ruby, and one for Go. And each of those agents can be installed in as little as 10 minutes. And that's about it. Once you install our agent on your application, then you can start seeing what's happening there in real time. You can uh, go into our web platform, select one or more servers you're interested in debugging. And part of the magic of Rookout is that we give you a debugger-like experience, a local debugger-like experience where you're attached to a process or spawn a process and literally set breakpoints anywhere you want. But you can get that experience in the cloud, experience in Kubernetes, in serverless, and you can literally debug. We have customers debugging 5,000 servers at the same time because that's a use case. They have requests coming in into a load balancer. It can reach any one of those 5,000 servers. So just set a breakpoint and get data from any one of them where the relevant code is invoked. And that's it. Click on the line. We instantly tell you what code is running on which server. So you don't have to do any guesswork. You can even narrow it down to specific commit revision, so you know exactly what's running. And let me tell you, quite often we hear from a customer once they're connected. Oh, the the bug, the problem in the code is it's running the wrong version, or it's not running the version I thought it was. And then just add a non-breaking breakpoint, and as soon as the code invoked, you're going to get a full snapshot, stack trace, variable values, tracing information, everything you want, and you can instantly know. I know what's going on in that line of code no guesswork no trying to grep through logs no simulations no reproductions just see what's happening in the environment you care about it can be your own machine it can be the cloud it can be staging integration even production
1: yeah wow that's Almost the dream of having like a DVR like experience for seeing some (laughs) some user session of like, get me to this line, let me know what was happening here. And you don't need to infer at that point, you have all the information that was available, you can probably see what was wrong, or at the very least find the right person, you know, to help the whatever subject matter expert for that particular part of the application. So from there we have all the data, we have all the information. I was sort of peering around on Rookout site before looking at some of the functionality that the product has. Can you tell me a little bit about the integration side of things? So you plug Rookout, uh, Rookout into your application stack. It looks like it talks to quite a few other services. I'm, I'm curious about you know how things like source control and collaboration tools and all that work, what some of the useful features are there that teams find helpful, and maybe some of the use cases that you find most interesting that you've seen teams using.
0: So first and foremost, we integrate with your source control management, so we can instantly tell you which code is running on which server, and saving you a lot of headache and warning about that. That's kind of the obvious first step. On top of that, we see many customers are you're not always debugging alone. Now, in fact, if you're debugging a complex issue or a high priority issue, or just need a help hand, you're often debugging with a friend, and sometimes you're doing that you know, sitting next to each other over Zoom or whatever, but sometimes you're alone and you got stuck, you're seeing one of those, you set a breakpoint, you're seeing a snapshot, and all of a sudden you're saying, hey, this doesn't make any sense. I want to ask my colleague about it. I want to ask an engineer from another team. I want to ask my product manager. I want to ask somebody about why is this value 5 and not 7? It should have been 5 or whatever. And so... You can instantly share whether it's Slack, Microsoft Teams, or other collaboration tools, Jira tickets, and just say, "Hey, I've got this snapshot. It doesn't make sense, or it shouldn't be there, or somebody else has a bug. Take a look at this snapshot. Now think about it, instead of trying to describe, I'm seeing this in the logs, or I'm thinking the value is whatever. You can instantly share an entire snapshot that shows the full state of the application in that line, and everybody can dig in even deeper into that and seeing that you're taking you're making the data much more objective, much more detailed, way richer. And the third and I think the most interesting integration is how we connect with other monitoring and observability tools. Whether you are a fan of logs, metrics, or distributed tracing, one of the biggest hurdles is that you constantly have to change them. You need more logs, you need less logs, you need more metrics, you need less metrics, you need more and less spans. And your needs change, a piece of code that has been dormant for ages and hasn't been causing you any trouble is all of a sudden causing many support issues and you want additional logs. Or a piece of the code, all of a sudden you're investigating it. What we allow you through Rookout to do is you can generate the three logs, the three pillars of observability, logs, metrics, and traces on the fly from any line of code and pipeline that to your favorite tool of choice. So if you're using Elasticsearch on Kibana to aggregate logs and analyze them, you can instantly add new log line from anywhere you want and add that to your Elasticsearch. And then you're going to see the new logs side by side with your old logs. So as you mentioned around graphing and all of that, you can now grab the new logs with the old easily. The same goes for metrics. Let's say you're seeing an endpoint is malfunctioning and you want to break that metric down into two code paths. And so you could easily add a metric for each of the new code paths and see how they behave differently and which one of them is being called more often and so on and so forth. And this way you could gain even more from your existing uh, monitoring tools without having to constantly redeploy the application to adapt the data you're collecting.
1: Yeah, those redeploys can be very expensive functionally and organizationally too. Oftentimes adding a log and deploying it to Like you said, 5,000 servers can take, you know, I don't know, maybe at best 10, 15 minutes, but in many cases, hours and hours or require like a next day deploy or overnight deploy or something, which loses you valuable time when you're trying to debug an issue, especially if it's mission critical or you're potentially losing business over it. The ability to change that stuff dynamically is really interesting and and really helpful. You're injecting in the right part of the process to be able to sort of supercharge that experience there.
0: You know, today we hear about many companies that deploy in 10 minutes, a new version. And working with a lot of customers across the industry, I have to tell you, it's a bit of a myth we tell ourselves. And I know so many people that feel bad. They are not in that lucky group where things get deployed in 10 minutes. So trust me, very few companies, very few teams are. And there are two reasons for that. One is that many of us are working on complex systems, whether testing takes longer. Whether deployment requires downtime or causes other disruptions, whether we have more complex deployment strategies, deployments more often than not even for a single. In fact, even if you are looking at a the Kubernetes deployment, a, you know state of the art changing pod by pod is probably going to take you more than ten minutes. If you're even looking at the web path translation or container build, those things can easily take ten minutes alone, just building without even going into the deployment phase. But I think even more importantly, when somebody tells you they can deploy in 10 minutes, that's usually best case happy path scenario. That's when you have an engineer next to you or the manager who can approve the deployment right next to you, clicking it instantly. That's when the CICD is green. When you don't have downtime to any component of the system, you don't have any feature freezes, you don't have anything at all in the world to worry about. And the truth is that even if that's you know the happy path, Chances are that if you look at the average, if you look at the media, and if you look at what's happening in the real world, quite often those are not the real numbers. I would argue there are plenty of use cases that are useful, even if you can deploy in 10 minutes. And we actually have a handful of customers that use Rookout deploy in 10 minutes and still get, derive huge value from it. But nobody should feel obligated to say, I can deploy in 10 minutes, because that's rarely, rarely the case.
1: Yeah, that's a hard and arbitrary thing to achieve for a lot of enterprise-grade solutions. And mm-hmm. often, maybe you're targeting the wrong problem if you're looking at your deploy time versus your actual uptime or you know user satisfaction, things like that.
0: Yeah, besides, you can deploy quite often. Even if your deployment takes you an hour and you're deploying five times a day, then you are pretty much in the P90, if not P99 percentile of excellence, especially as an enterprise.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Pivoting a little bit, I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit about the tools that you use to build Rookout? What, what is it built on? What does the stack look like? Things like that.
0: Sure. So we, as I mentioned, we build agents for the six runtimes. And essentially, each of those agents is built from the ground up to provide the best performance, stability, as well as ease of deployment for all of those runtimes. We use a combination of uh, mostly uh, the dominant language for each runtime, so for Python, it's obviously going to be Python. For JVM, Java, .NET, C sharp, and so on. But we also sometimes include some C code, whether it's for Go or Python. There's things that you are too low level, that are too complex, and you want to go down to C or C to achieve some of the fancier stuff. So we do a combination of that, and all of our packages are available in the public repositories. Fronted application is a single page React app. We've kind of shifted across uh, state management systems over time. That's a long story, all by itself. For those of you who are into front-end engineering, state management is quite uh, the rage for the past decade or so. Our backend itself is running on Kubernetes, and we use a mixture of uh, Go and Node.js for our servers, with most of our code, especially business logic, residing in Go, and some of our more internet-facing stuff, some of more our integrations of focusing on OGS because of the great ecosystem and community and libraries where you can just integrate with pretty much anything very, very easily.
1: Sure. Wow. So not only do you have domain experts or code being written for, for domains like .NET and Python, you have some C developers, you have people writing in Go, you have JavaScript, you have quite the myriad of languages there. So can you tell me a little bit about the team behind Rookout? How many people are you? Do you have developers that are sort of focused on specific languages? What does that look
0: like? So, our engineering team is just shy of 20 and is divided into three groups. One group is focusing on the user experience, both on the front end, but as as well as on the other components that directly support that, on the business logic that directly supports the front end, or full stack engineers. The second group is our infra group that deals with infrastructure level backend stuff, as well as DevOps, all of our internal developer experience the resilient security of our platform, as well as more complex groundwork around the database management and similar stuff. And we have the agents group. The agents group are essentially very talented folks that can write multiple languages every day because sometimes you're working on the .NET, sometimes you're working on JPM. We do try to keep the code base very, very similar, so it's easy to transition. From each run, uh, runtime to the other runtime, we try to keep the code base similar, we try to keep the concept similar. And yet, there are a lot of nitty-gritty details of how we do things and how does each platform work. that uh, definitely shifts as you're moving from one to the other.
1: Yeah, I'd imagine that specific language runtimes have their own quirks and features that you need to work around, such that you know, writing a .NET agent probably looks a little bit different from a Python one from a Node.js one pretty incredible to have a team with such flexibility and expertise, especially within only around 20 people. It's, that's pretty amazing. It's really interesting to hear about. I'm also kind of interested in hearing a little bit about, you, you mentioned your history as in sort of privacy and security and that world as well. It sounds like there's probably quite a bit that you've had to take into consideration here to make sure that Rookout is usable by companies that need to comply with like GDPR, for example, <laughs> There's probably a lot of boxes that need to be checked to make sure that you're not collecting PII at the wrong times or leaking PII or that you can delete things that's needed. Is that something that your team has had to spend a lot of time uh, sort of considering?
0: Yeah, so I think having my background in cybersecurity has brought a few advantages and a few unique angles into how we do things work out. Some of that on the more technical perspective of how to write those agents and how to make them the best possible agents. As a company, we see ourselves as a company that's focused on data collection rather than on data aggregation. So if you look at companies such as Elastic or Splunk, they're doing the best data platform out there. They want to allow you to collect all your data and fuse it and do fancy stuff with it. Our focus as a company is being able to extract you the data you need, and then you can use it however you see fit. We do provide basic analytics tool, but as I mentioned, we also integrate with those advanced analytics tools so you can get the best of both worlds. Now, obviously, when you're dealing with extracting data, then there are a lot of security considerations that come into play, both security and compliance, by the way. And there are quite a few considerations. I think we've, due to my experience and a few of the other teammates, we've kind of taken on security fairly early in the process. We've kept a very secure software development lifecycle from the ground up, whether it's around using tools such as software composition analysis, static application, secure testing, security testing, or dynamic application security testing, all of those passwords, as well as good practices around security, or based access controls, and so on and so forth. And on top of that, we've added a lot of security-oriented features around single sign-on integration, audit logs, and so on and so forth. But even more so, I got to learn a lot about compliance, stuff I didn't know much about early on, and I kind of had to learn quite a bit. Both around how do we achieve compliance internally, whether it's our SOC two compliance, ISO twenty seven thousand one, HIPAA, and so on and so forth, but also about understanding the legal implications, working with large enterprises, and all of those elements. And when you are working with large enough enterprises, I can say that it's not just about having some certifications on the wall, it's also about being able to communicate your security posture very clearly and being able to offer the security guarantees they want, which are often on top or different than whatever is in the compliance documents themselves. Now, a couple of years ago, we figured out that no matter what we do, no matter how much security, how much compliance we're going to bake in, at some point, it's going to be hard for some organization to trust us, whether it's because their trust itself is hard to earn, especially as a very young and small company, or because moving data is very complex from them And not necessarily from a legal perspective, it can be data governance, it can be legal. In fact, if you look today at organizations, security-wise, moving data around is quite often the biggest security risk to them and the biggest compliance risk to them. And so we've came up with a hybrid architecture. In the hybrid architecture, we keep all the customer data within their environment while still providing a SaaS service. Think of it as splitting our SaaS service into two. The major boring part with all the business logic, with all the complexity, with all the stuff you have to worry about remains on our end, while a very small, slim part that does all the data processing ends up in the customer networks, and so the customer's data never leaves their network. This means that, especially when you think about privacy, most of the things go away. The data doesn't go to us. The data never leaves the customer if there are any reporting obligations, such as the reporting obligation under GDPR, the customer doesn't have to report the data is moving because it doesn't, which can save a lot of headache for them. And so by offering this enterprise approach, we found that it's much easier to convince customers, convince enterprises to work with us because they're securing the knowledge. They keep all the data within their environment and we never access it. It might also be a good time to mention that we never access customer source code. We figured early on we don't need it. And so as a security best practice, we just made up a company policy. We don't touch, process, access customer source code in any way. And those two guarantees about how you can secure data and how you can secure source code are imperatives in how we can offer security, compliance, and peace of mind to enterprises. Lastly, I would probably mention that Rookout can also be seen as an opportunity for security. Today, you probably have some processes in place for debugging production, whether people are SSHing into servers or kubectl execing into pods or taking database dumps and then reinserting them into development. And all of those things carry huge risks. Rookout offers you a portal, a secure portal with all the security guarantees you need to provide developers access to production where you can control exactly what they see, how they see it, when they see it. You have audit logs over everything. And so you have seen many organizations use the lookout to increase developer access to production, which in fact is in many ways the mission of the company.
1: Yeah, wow. That is an incredibly thoughtful answer to what seemed like an innocuous question, but there's a lot to take into account there. One of the things that I often discuss with founders of companies who are building products today, whether it's SaaS or apps or whatever the case is, is when it comes to things like security and privacy and keeping data safe and compliant is to try not become the expert yourself if you can avoid it and to rely on services and people who are experts in the field. And it it certainly sounds like your background is very helpful there and that having a clear mission to not collect data from your customer servers, right? It never crosses the network. You're never actually looking at their source code. You're creating very important and useful boundaries that are also very functionally easy to explain. You don't have to dance around what's actually going on there. And that's pretty incredible. That sounds like quite the, not only from a marketing perspective, a feat that is very useful to pass on, but an engineering feat, that's also something that's pretty incredible to be able to say you've done too. That's really, really interesting. And that's definitely one of those things that sounds like a a standout uh, feature set there. So let's shift again. I want to hear a little bit about, again, so if you're talking to me as a developer who is looking at using observability and looking at integrating with Rookout, what's maybe the first feature you would tell me to look at or the first thing you would tell me to do to actually make it useful for
0: my team? So I would tell you the first feature is just see it works. I mean, early on in the day, people just wouldn't believe me when I would tell them that. This has been somewhat, it's been easier these days, but still whenever I'm out at the conference and I'm showing a people demo, people demos, they're like, okay, so where are you simulating my code? Or oh, this is just simulation, right? You've put those breakpoints ahead of time. So it, that's not, we're not simulating anything. We're not moving your code away. We're not moving the data away. We're not preparing anything. We're literally instrumenting your code on the fly when you need it, as you need it. And the simplest thing to do is just see it for yourself. You can literally just, you know, go through the process, install an agent, set a non-breaking breakpoint, invoke the code, and see that you're going to get the data. You're going to get the exact same experience you would have in a local debugger, except it doesn't break. And you're doing that with an enterprise production-grade tool. And the benefits of that and the options of that are endless. But first and foremost it's walking for yourselves. And on top of that, we can show you tons of cool features. You've got conditional breakpoints. You've got target integrations. You've got profiling baked in. You've got tons of advanced features, but everything is based on the very basic concept that you can decide in real time what data you want from a running server without writing more code, without redeploying it, without even having to restart it.
1: Yeah. Wow. I mean, use the product as a great pitch, like just try it. It works. Is really interesting. I mean, that's enough to perk my ears. I'm sure some folks listening to this are really interested in that too. Okay. So tell me about, have you seen any unconventional uses for Rookout or things that you didn't expect that teams would end up doing that have proved to be useful?
0: So early on, we've heard that one of the interesting use cases for Rookout, especially in a microservices environment is that often when you're debugging, it's not just your code, it's not even just your microservice. Because you might be debugging somebody else's code. And if you think about it, I mean if I tell you that you have to add a log line to your code, I mean that sucks. But you already have that checked out on your machine. You know how to rebuild it, you know how to redeploy it. Adding the log line itself is probably gonna take you a couple of minutes, then you have to go to the CICD process, get approval. It might take you 10 minutes, it might take you an hour, it might take you a week, but at least you know how to do that. What happens if you have to add a log line to another microservice in your environment or even to an open source library you're using or closed source library in your company? All of the sudden, so first of all, you have to find the correct source code for that application. Whether it's an internal or external repository, you have to check it out. And that by itself might take you over an hour for some large repos. but let's put that aside. Now, you have to get the correct revision that you're using. You have to dive into the code. And if it's another microservice, it might be written in a language you're not that familiar with. You might not even be familiar with the code base. But let's assume you've got that line in place. Now, you have to rebuild it. Do you know how to rebuild another person's code? Quite often, what I found that in most organizations, standardizing microservices is not that easy. And even if you've got to a great degree of standardizing, They're usually generations. So they're you know, every year they change the standardization because technology shifts. And if you have to build a microservice from a couple of years ago, it's probably gonna be different than a microservice from five years ago or a microservice from now. And all of a sudden, rebuilding and then redeploying and changing the dependency, all of a sudden doesn't sound like you know, ten minutes of work and some waiting time. It can easily turn into two or three days of work. Now, I've heard that use case quite a bit, and it's been around, and we've seen many customers use it. But earlier today, I saw what I was amazed by. And one of our customers is using a feature flag, an internal feature flagging framework. And they had a bug. One of the client teams, they have a big application, one of the microservices teams started debugging. They didn't understand why feature flagging was acting a lot. Everything looked off. And they've started debugging root Rookout, they've gone in, they've gone in. And then all of a sudden they said, hey, we're getting the wrong data from that microservice. And then they were on the Zoom, one of our, a couple of people from our team helped guiding them through the process and a handful of them uh, debugging through this very complex issue that has been bothering them for a week now. And all of a sudden they said, hey, it's the other team fault. And, you know, on the Zoom session, people from the other team started coming in. Two, three, four. All of a sudden we had 15 people on the call. And they've started digging into the code and they said, hey, show me what's happening here. Show me what's happening here, there. And because you can do it dynamically, they could literally see the flow, see through the code. And they've started blaming the cache and the APIs and all that. And all of a sudden they've discovered the design was unclear, that sub flags behave differently than flags. And so that if you turn the flag, the overall flag, it doesn't automatically turn the sub flags off and they've turned the discussion into a design discussion all of a sudden in real time because they could see the code they could see its behavior in real time in production and they could understand what are they doing is it good is it bad how are the two teams interacting not by looking at you know static source code this is my truth this is your truth go fight over it this is how the two pieces of code meet this is what's happening in real time now we can discuss Is it working for us or isn't it working for us?
1: Yeah, that's an amazing cascade you've up-leveled the conversation from. I mean, first of all, you probably helped them fix a bug that was plaguing the engineering team for a week, which is an expensive issue potentially, to now it's more of a collaborative architectural discussion, something that the engineering team needs to reckon with and come to some agreement. Whether it doesn't really matter who's right or wrong at that point, they all need to be on the same page. And I can't imagine how long that might have taken to solve in other scenarios. I've certainly worked on engineering teams where there have been long-standing historical problems with like, yeah, you know, every time we do a beta, we have these problems. And this is just the way it is here. We just have problems with, you know, turning on feature flags, like you said, or dealing with API versioning or interleaving languages and runtimes on different platforms. You're giving them the ability to zoom out and see how everything is actually functioning in real time. And they can have much more meaningful discussions there. That's very, very cool. That's one of those stories that probably makes it easy for your team to demonstrate the value of the product too. And sort of, you know, at that point, you're not even selling your product, you're delivering value from the first moment there. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what you've learned while building Rookout. So I'm wondering if you have any experience that you've gained from this or anything that you would pass on to. Founding teams, developers who are building new products, just nuggets of wisdom or tools or patterns, tactics techniques that you've used along the way. what would you pass on to someone who's building a company today?
0: So when I started out I focused on a very personal pain of mine. There was a time ago almost it's been over ten years now. I was managing a project find all the roles. It's been a big project, it was waterfall, and like most waterfall projects, it launched six months later than schedule. Someone might say 18 months ahead of later than schedule, depending on which schedule you're counting, but a different <laughs> discussion again. And the launch was terrible. We had tons and tons of bugs. In particular, we had a bug that would cause one of our database to corrupt and the endpoint agent to fail and having to reinstall it. Now, at the time, we were pretty much far out from CICD and the build process was manual, fairly complex. And it took about a couple of hours to build a new version. And if you wanted to release a new version, at best it would have taken you two days of work. Now, I've added probably 10 to 15 new logs working on that issue. Think about how much time we've spent releasing new version. If we had to release 10 to 15 new versions just for logs, each of them took us a couple of days of work. So that was a big part of my inspiration for building Rookup. Now, along the way, what I found that software engineers tend to focus very much on how their code is operating on their machine, which is, in a way, what we did early on when we developed that project, because you could easily test that tool on your machine, unit tests, end-to-end tests, whatever, and we have focused heavily on that. How do you run your code on your machine? If it's working on my machine, it's great. If it doesn't work on my machine, then something is bad. But, you know, that's not what's really important. We focus on that because it's easy. It's easy to see the log. It's easy to attach a debugger. You get a sense of things. You have control. You have visibility. So that's what you focus on. But actually, the further away code goes from your machine, the more important it is. Staging is more important than your machine. Production is way more important than both. But because today most engineers don't have tools to see what's happening in production, they kind of shrug it off because if they can't see it, if they can't act on it, then it can't be their responsibility, can it? And I think that's something huge. And today when we speak with customers, they care about the cultural shift even more than they care about the tool itself because you want your engineers to focus on production. You want to have your engineers focus on the real business impact of their code. And that's the truth. And in fact, that this became Rookout mission. We want engineers to focus on production. We want engineers to focus on where their code actually matters. And I think for most founders, that are working on their personal problems or in fact building companies for any other incentive, find that bigger truth, find that bigger visions, because at the end of the day you're selling. If you're building a company, you're building a product, you're selling something to someone, and selling a dream, selling a cultural shift, selling an impact to the organization is more important than just selling a tool, even whether it's a screwdriver or a software development tool.
1: Those are extremely wise words. I feel like that can apply across industries, across whatever you're building. It's more than just the little problem you're fixing. It's about the shift that it provides, the value add above just the product itself. That's fantastic advice. I really like that. So what's next for Rookout? Are you tackling big problems? Are you looking to expand into new functional areas? What's on the horizon for you?
0: So Rookout started as a live debugger. We allow you to do all this magic I've mentioned around debugging your code as you're trying elsewhere. Late last year, we released what we like to call Live Logger. Live Logger allows you to essentially play around with the proposal level of your applications, turning it up and down dynamically, but even more so contextually. So let's say you have a user reporting a problem. You can turn on logging for that specific user. You can even turn it automatically once a ticket has been opened, once support has been activated. Let's increase that logger velocity because, as I mentioned earlier on, the biggest problem with logs is signal-to-noise ratios. And most companies I know have 99% of the logs turned off at any given moment because they can't afford to turn it on. Live Logger allows you to turn on logging on demand for the specific part you care about, a specific server, a specific user, a specific account, a specific source file based on what you need right now, So, you get the data again, you get the data you need when you need it for a fraction of the cost of collecting everything all the time. And we are also looking at expanding beyond that. We're looking at offering tools. So far, we've been focusing mostly on backend technologies. We are looking into moving into frontend and mobile. We are looking into offering dynamic developer focused observability around cloud infrastructure as well. And also, so far, we've focused our experience on providing the best. Debugger in the web. And we felt that that's the best approach that will apply to most people. But we've been hearing more and more people that are interested in being able to use Rookout from it in their ID. So we obliged and we are rapidly prototyping, rapidly developing our new ide based debugger for Rookout that will allow you to debug from the convenience of your ID. And we're actually eager to see will customers like it more or less than working with our web version.
1: Wow, yeah. Certainly lots of really challenging problems that you're tackling. I think the IDE thing sounds really interesting. I think a lot of developers tend to be kind of set in their ways of like, hey, I'm used to working this way and probably bringing the tool to them is going to be something that is agreeable and useful for a lot of developers. But I'm kind of curious to hear what the feedback you get on that is as well. So at the moment, is your team hiring?
0: We're definitely hiring across our positions. We're hiring for engineering roles. We're hiring for... Sales engineering and solution engineering roles. We're hiring for DevRel roles. So hit us up if you have any thoughts on the matter.
1: Got it. So that's a great lead into the next point here. Where should they go if they want to get started with Rookout, and where should they go if they want to look for jobs at Rookout?
0: So if you're interested in Rookout, go to rookout.com. If you feel you have the flexibility and free will to do it, you can always sign up directly online, install one of our agents, and get started. It's free forever for a single user. If you are working for a larger enterprise, have some security concerns, or other questions, feel free to reach out on the website with chat or contact us. We'll rapidly call you back and give you a no bullshit answer to whatever is plaguing you, I promise. We also have a careers page. You can check it out if you are looking to maybe join us. And you can always reach out to me. I am on Twitter, Liran underscore last. I'm on LinkedIn, Leran Hamovic. So feel free to reach out and let me know if you have any questions or thoughts.
1: That's fantastic. Leran, it's been so nice chatting with you. It's really interesting to hear about Rookout. We'll make sure that all of the applicable links are in the notes in the description for this podcast. It was wonderful chatting with you, Leran. Have a great day and thanks so much for your time.
0: Thanks, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening in.
1: Right on. And for Software Engineering Daily, my name is Mike Bifolko. Have a great day.